0: Vice President for Academic Affairs at
1: Villanova University. On behalf of the Villanova community, I am delighted to welcome you to this very special honorary degree ceremony. I draw your attention to the banners at the front of the room featuring the university's seal. The seal is highlighted by the words Veritas, Unitas, and Caritas, which mean truth, unity, and love which represent the traits of an ideal Augustinian community. Villanova University aspires to be and is recognized as a community of scholars, where in a spirit of <coughs> collegiality, the members cooperate to achieve common goals in the discovery and transmission of knowledge. Villanova benefits from a community of faculty, staff, and administrators who are committed to the university's mission. Their collective efforts, talents, and wisdom create an academically challenging environment and prepare the university to meet the challenges of the future. So now I ask you to please stand as we welcome the administrators and honored guests of the Villanova community. They are being led by student Marshal Lea Lea Hogan, a communications major in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, vice president of the Student Government Association, and a member of the class of 2013. Mm -hmm. Ms. Hogan is carrying the mace, which is a ceremonial uh, weapon, (laughs) an (laughs) evil weapon. It is uh, one of the president's symbols of authority and is only used at formal events where the president of the university is present. I would now like to ask Father Martin Laird of the Order of St. Augustine, PhD and Professor of Early Christian Studies in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences to deliver the opening prayer. Please remain standing.
2: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, O God in whom we live and move and have our being, we give you thanks for this gathering of those on whose hearts you have written, seek my face. For indeed, as our Holy Father, the blessed St. Augustine has put it, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We likewise, likewise give you thanks and praise for the gracious invitation by which you call and embrace all who seek the face of God. As St. John the theologian preserves in the teachings of Jesus, so that they may all be one, Father, even as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us so that the world believe that you sent me. The silent depths of your word run deeper than division, discord, and denomination. And as your holy bishop Platon of Kiev has put it, the walls of separation do not rise to heaven. and for our failure to manifest to the world the triune love of father son and spirit that indwells us and nourishes us nourishes us in the eucharist we fall prostrate before thy abundant mercy to beg thy forgiveness for our weakness and inability to live what you command by showing the world the unity of all who seek your face. Yet we stand here today with arms outstretched in joy and hope that your churches may at long last show the world that though we are many We are created to be one because we eat of the one bread and drink of the one cup. This truly would be a manifestation of light to the nations. A light that shines in darkness, a light that darkness cannot overpower, as Saint Augustine has put it, this light itself is one. And all who see this light and love this light are one. as we gather to celebrate this very special occasion in honor of his eminence, Metropolitan Hilarion, we humbly beseech thy blessing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Thank you, Father. Please be seated. I am pleased to introduce Father Richard Ridley of the Order of St. Augustine, Director and Curator of the Philadelphia University Art Gallery, and Professor of Studio Art and Theater in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, who will present his Eminence Metropolitan Hilarion Althea with the degree of Doctor of Sacred Theology.
3: Your Eminence, from a Western friar to an Eastern monk, I welcome you here today on behalf of the Augustinian friars and the Villanova University community. Metropolitan Hilarion is a theologian, church diplomat, artist, and last but not least, a monastic. Meeting journalists in Rome on a visit to His Holiness Pope Benedict XVI, Metropolitan Hilarion said, it seems to me that there are things which cannot be transmitted either through theological discourse or diplomacy, but can be transmitted through the language of art. While theological dialogue is essential for resolving the 1,000-year-old split between the Christian East and West, the dialogue of the heart is also necessary, he said. The holy icon is the Orthodox Church's greatest artistic achievement. Simply put, In the colors and the line of every icon, the gospel is proclaimed, doctrine taught, and spirituality manifested. An icon is the prayerful expression in art of the eternal reality, divine significance, and purpose of the events in the life of Christ, the Theotokos or the particular saint depicted. The same is true for church homography. Metropolitan Hilarion remarked that through music we can say something we cannot say through words or diplomatic means or even through theological terms. The dialogue between cultures can bring many good results it can liberate us from prejudice, from negative feelings toward each other, which, may, which we may have inherited from the past. His Eminence, in his many-faceted life, in art, music, and letters, exemplifies the meaning of what it is to be a Christian and a child of God in today's world. It is therefore my honor and high privilege to present to you, Father President, for the degree of Doctor of Sacred Theology, honoris causa, his eminence, Metropolitan Hilarion Afaea. In the name of the Board of Trustees, and the faculty of Villanova University, I confer upon you the degree of Doctor of Sacred Theology, honoris causa.
0: Dear brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I would like to give thanks to the Lord for the fact that in spite of difficult weather conditions, our meeting today is taking place. (laughs) The hurricane that was expected with such fear and that could damage so many cities on the eastern coast of the United States did indeed fall on New York and some other places. Philadelphia was not left aside. As a result of the hurricane, some people lost their lives. The infrastructure of many cities is damaged. Airports are still closed. However, judging from the forecasts, everything could be much worse. So we should be thankful to God for being here. And uh, I would like to express especially my heartfelt thanks to Father Peter Donohue, the President of the Villanova University, as well as to Father Richard Canulli and the teaching staff of the University for awarding me the degree of Doctor of Sacred Theology Honoris Causa. I believe that this honor is not so much for me and my modest works, but in recognition of the authority of the Russian Orthodox Church, of which I am a loyal son. It is especially pleasant for me to receive a doctoral degree from a place of learning which, since its foundation by Augustinian monks in 1842 to this day, has rooted its educational work in the rich heritage of Saint Augustine, a saint of the undivided Church. The teaching of the Holy Fathers of the first millennium when the churches of the East and the West abided in unity, although at times this unity was subjected to serious trials, is the sure foundation upon which dialogue between Christians can develop successfully and truthfully. It is my profound conviction that fidelity to the Christian tradition The preservation of continuity in the teaching and life of the Church is the proper means for the restoration of unity among Christ's disciples. It is because of the renunciation by some Protestant denominations as well as parts of the Anglican communion of the ancient Christian tradition that it has become ever more difficult for the Orthodox Church to continue cooperation and dialogue with them. I regret this, but the the dialogues with Protestants and Anglicans, which we have had for decades, are now under threat because of processes taking place in the Protestant communities of the West and of the North. I mean the continuing liberalization in the field of theology, ecclesiology, and moral teaching. Certain denominations have legitimized the blessing of same-sex unions and the ordination of people openly declaring their non-traditional sexual orientation We are obliged to speak about this because we want to preserve the good that was achieved during the years of dialogue between the Orthodox on the one hand and Protestants and Anglicans on the other In defending the 2,000-year-old tradition of the Church, we remain true to this dialogue, yet at the same time we see that many Protestants and Anglicans are growing away from us by accepting innovations which we find unacceptable. I am speaking of this in the walls of a Catholic university, by no means because I am afraid to criticize Anglicans and Protestants to their faces. On the contrary, every time the opportunity arises, I speak openly of our concern in direct dialogue with our brothers from the Anglican and Protestant communities. Thus, for example, in 2010, at a festive dinner at the Nicene Club in London, in the presence of the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, I stated the sad fact that the Orthodox and Anglican churches are to be found on different sides of the abyss which separate Christians of a traditional direction and Christians adhering to liberal teachings. And as recently as uh, a few days before, I spoke on the same things at the Old Episcopalian Seminary at Nashota House. Unlike dialogue with the Protestants and Anglicans, which has reached a dead end, Dialogue with the Roman Catholic Church seems to have a future to it precisely because like the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church does not think of itself outside of the tradition and strives to teach and live in accordance with the tradition of the Apostles and Holy Fathers. In my view, The significant improvement and strengthening of relations between our churches that can be seen in recent years is connected to an awareness that we are united by a common heritage thanks to which both Orthodox and Catholics can and must together bear witness to the world of the eternal values of the gospel. It is to past and present Orthodox Catholic dialogue that I would like to dedicate my address. On the 11th of October of this year, the 50th anniversary of the opening of the Second Vatican Council was celebrated, perhaps the most important event in church history in the West in the 20th century. Conjoined to this significant jubilee was the 13th Synod of Bishops of the Roman Catholic Church devoted to the problem of modern evangelization. To this synod, as once at the Second Vatican Council, there were invited delegates from the non-Catholic churches. In my capacity of representative of the Russian Orthodox Church, I attended synodal sessions and had the opportunity of delivering an address to the assembled bishops. Before the Second Vatican Council, it was impossible to imagine such a thing. The Council had great significance for the development of Orthodox Catholic dialogue. The documents adopted at the Council were the theoretical foundation upon which it was possible to develop Orthodox Catholic relations in various spheres. In 1979, there was started an official dialogue between the Catholic and Orthodox Churches. What was the attitude of the Orthodox Church to the Catholics at the time when this dialogue began? First of all, we ought to note that officially the Orthodox Church had never recognized in any document or decree or definition the validity and saving nature of the sacraments of the Catholic Church. There had never been a united stance in the local Orthodox churches regarding the Catholics. From the 18th century onwards, the Russian Church received Catholics into Orthodoxy through repentance. This means that if we receive into the bosom of the Orthodox Church a lay person baptized in the Catholic Church, we do not baptize him or her anew. If the person has been confirmed in the Catholic Church, they are not chrismated. If he was a Catholic priest, he is not reordained but is received as a priest. This practice has been interpreted by Orthodox theologians in different ways. When in 1979, a mixed commission for theological dialogue between the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches was set up, it began its work with a consistent examination of the question of the sacraments and their possible mutual recognition. An important achievement in this period was the analysis of the nature of the church from the perspective of Eucharistic ecclesiology. At the 4th plenary session of the Dialogue in Bari in 1987, the Orthodox participants of the Dialogue decided to discuss the painful topic of the Uniatism and the Eastern Catholic Churches. The rebirth of the structures of the Greek Catholic Churches in the Ukraine and in Eastern European European countries such as Romania, which were sometimes accompanied by open conflicts with the Orthodox, raised the question of unitism as a historical problem in Orthodox Catholic relations. An achievement on the way to mutual understanding was the document of the mixed commission on the Orthodox Catholic dialogue entitled uh, Uniatism as a means of unification in the past and the search for full unity in the present, in which representatives of the Orthodox Church and more importantly of the Roman Catholic Church agreed that unitism cannot be viewed as a means of achieving unity as history has shown that it has been a cause of great separation between the churches. The undoubted recognition of the positive results of the theological dialogue between the Orthodox and the Catholics was the document entitled The Basic Principles of the Russian Orthodox Church, of the attitude of the Russian Orthodox Church towards the non-Orthodox Christians. This document was adopted at the Bishop's Council of the Russian Orthodox Church in the year 2000. In particular, it emphasizes that dialogue with the Roman Catholic Church has been built and must be built in the future with regard to the basic fact that she, the Roman Catholic Church, is a church in which the apostolic succession of ordination has been preserved. In recent years, the dialogue embarked on the question of the primacy of the Bishop of Rome. In what manner are we to discuss this topic? First of all, we ought to understand what was his role in the communion of the Christian churches in the first millennium, for it was this period which is the basis on which the Orthodox and Catholics can today build a common platform. For all of the differences that existed at that time, Christians in the East and in the West were not separated. Consequently, any road to a, com- to a coming together lies through a return to the heritage of the first millennium. Yet in viewing the first millennium, we ought to understand and demonstrate that the jurisdiction of the Bishop of Rome did not extend to the Christian East. Both sides, Orthodox and Catholics alike, ought to stake with full clarity that his jurisdiction extended to the Christian West and not to the East, where there were four patriarchates and autocephalous churches. Unfortunately, there is a tendency when writing joint documents pass over in silence the differences and highlight instead what the churches have in common. When we are dealing with Orthodox Catholic dialogue, this method is not quite acceptable. We know that it is that we have in common, but the Catholics need to understand those differences which exist between us including the Doctrine on Primacy in the Universal Church. The task which this dialogue faces is difficult, yet I would not say that it cannot be fulfilled. Progress which has already occurred in the relations between the Orthodox and Catholics shows that the way of dialogue definitely has a future. It allows us to discuss the present differences, problems, and difficulties and to come to mutually acceptable decisions and formulations. Of course, this does not mean that at the practical level all problems will be solved, but at least we can mark out the pathways of these decisions, we can give to our relations a positive vector. It has to be said also that dialogue between the Orthodox and Catholic churches has a practical application. If, for example, during the time of the Second Vatican Council it was impossible even to imagine that the Orthodox could celebrate services in Catholic churches, this now happens quite regularly. Today the Catholic Church helps Orthodox Christians in many ways in the creation of their church structure on their canonical territory. The fact that in many countries Catholics help us in itself is worthy of a very positive and grateful evaluation. The theological dialogue which is today conducted by the Catholic and Orthodox churches will apparently continue for many decades to come and yet people's lives throughout the world go their own way. The Catholics and Orthodox encounter the same challenges which modern times lay down to the traditional way of life. In particular, we are dealing not so much with theological problems as with anthropological problems with the present and future of humanity. It is in this sphere which the Orthodox and Catholics can interact without compromising their ecclesial identity. In other words, while not yet being the one church and being separated by various theological and ecclesiological problems, we can find ways of interacting which would allow us to respond jointly to the challenges of the modern world. Together, we can help people realize what the traditional Christian values are the family, the worth of human life from conception to death the upbringing of children the integrity and indissolubility of marriage all of these concepts in the modern secular world are subjected to a radical reevaluation today in western society the traditional family way of life has in effect been destroyed as a result of which there has been a gradual decline in the populations of many Western nations. This is a very simple and real indication of the spiritual health or spiritual disease of a particular nation. If the population of a country is increasing, this means that there are in the nation healthy forces which allow this to happen. If the population decreases, this is a sign of disease and the disease in this instance is that in society there is an absence of the traditional notion of the family at the basis of this worldview, there lies the destruction of the traditional family way of life and today if we, speak to, if we speak about the Christian communities the traditional way of life is preserved only by the Catholic and Orthodox churches This does not mean that all believers follow the teaching of their church, but on an official level, it is the Catholics and Orthodox churches which defend the integrity of marriage, which believe abortion to be a sin, and which call for an, and which uh, believe that euthanasia is unacceptable. If you compare, for example, the foundations of the social concept of the Russian Orthodox Church, which speaks about very many moral and social problems, with the catechism of the Catholic Church, which outlines the official teaching of the Catholic Church on these problems, then everywhere you will see that their positions are similar. I would like to note the importance of the joint declarations made recently by representatives of the Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches in defense of family values. The first Orthodox Catholic forum on the topic of the family as a blessing for humanity, which was held in December 2008, emphasized in its final document that both the Catholics and the Orthodox see the family as the most favorable moral environment in which children are born and brought up. However, the ideology that has arisen as a result of the sexual revolution of the late 20th century has provoked a profound crisis of traditional notions of human and family life. This crisis has has even affected internal family relationships which are so often being distorted and perverted that the family has ceased to be the ideal environment for the moral upbringing of the upcoming generation. As the Catholic Orthodox Conference, which took place in January 2011 in Kaunas, Lithuania, noted, today's postmodern modern world, world is full of dangerous assaults upon life. The foundations of family life are especially shaken by attempts to legalize homosexual partnerships, the practice of abortion, artificial insemination, the creation of excessive embryos, the use of donor cells, and euthanasia. Another relevant topic, which the Christians cannot remain indifferent to, is that of experiments in the gender sphere which are taking place today with ever-increasing regularity. Several weeks ago, the media reported that in the United States, a lesbian couple began to give their 11-year-old adopted son drugs that would halt the development of his male hormones. The couple claims that since the age of three, the boy has experienced problems with sexual identification and has long since believed himself to be a girl. We can only guess at what methods these two women have used to turn their adopted son into a person similar to themselves. I am convinced that cooperation of all Christian confessions and first of all of Catholics and Orthodox is greatly needed for the protection of human life and human dignity. Therefore, we who are united by faith in Christ and a 2,000 year old Christian tradition have to bring with renewed strength the good news to the world of the family and marriage as institutions created by God. In accepting the challenge of the real world, the Christian family is to be, as before, the hope and pledge of a Christian civilization. It is essential to protect and support a cultural tradition which is favorable to the family, the indissolubility of marriage, and the need for marital fidelity. Yet another important direction that is acquiring greater relevance for our possible interaction is the protection of Christians from discrimination. Unfortunately, in the countries of the so-called Arab Spring, as well as in a whole number of other countries of the Middle East, Africa, Asia, and Oceania, Christians are subjected to discrimination, persecution and repression. This obvious fact is passed over in silence by the media which prefers to ignore this problem. Moreover, in planning military intervention into a particular country of the Arab world or in preparing the overthrow of the existing regime in a particular country with the help of outside force, Western strategists, it would appear, completely fail to take into account the fact that main victims are often local Christians. There are many examples of this. In Iraq, only a tenth of a million and a half Christian population that lived there 10 years ago has survived. In Egypt, we are are witnesses to a mass exodus of Christians. There are practically no Christians left in Libya 95% of Christians have abandoned the city of Homs in Syria We Catholics and Orthodox must raise our voices jointly in defense of Christians subjected to persecution and repression in the aforementioned countries as well as in Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Indonesia, the Philippines, Nigeria and in many other countries. The countries of Europe have traditionally defended the interests of Christians, for example, in the Middle East or in the Far Eastern Asia. In the present circumstances, we hope that the resolution adopted by the European Parliament on the 20th of January, 2011, on the position of Christians in the context of religious freedom as well as the declaration of the Committee of Foreign Ministers of the European Union made on the 22nd of February 2011 will have practical consequences they were as a result of active participation of the Christian churches in this direction we hope that the USA will join us in the defense of Christians today Christians are subjected to harassment not only in those countries where they comprise a minority, but often in those countries with ancient and deep-rooted Christian traditions. Certain European countries are trying to limit the manifestation of Christian faith in public life by claiming that they are thereby observing the rights of adherents of other religions or of atheists. This situation demands that Catholics and Orthodox show solidarity in their actions in protecting the Christian identity of Europe and America. In my greetings addressed to the 13th Synod of Catholic Bishops in Rome on October 16 this year, I challenged my brethren from the Catholic Church to create a united front for the defense of the Christian faith in those countries where it is persecuted or harassed. The Christian communities of Syria and other Middle Eastern countries are crying out, for, crying out for help at a time when the Western media ignored their pleas for aid. Politicians too are closing their eyes to this unprecedented wave of persecution. We, the Orthodox and the Catholics from around the world have to raise our voice in defense of Christians and the Christian traditions of the Middle East. It is our duty to appeal constantly to political leaders, international organizations, and the media by reminding them of this humanitarian tragedy unfolding before our eyes. I have to say that my words found a lively response among the Synod Fathers, especially those who represent Catholic communities in those countries where Christians are persecuted. It is essential for the Orthodox and the Catholics today to perceive each other not as rivals but as allies in the cause of the defense of Christian values. We must develop interaction outside of the success or otherwise of theological dialogue, independent even of how relations between the Orthodox and the Catholics take shape in concrete regions around the world. We must build this interaction proceeding from a common strategic task since we are dealing with the future of humanity. It is upon our joint endeavors that the future of Christianity in the third millennium will primarily depend. May I thank you for your attention. Just before I leave the pulpit, I would like to uh, present um, the University of Villanova with uh, two volumes of my book on Orthodox Christianity. It is going to be a five volume collection in the English language, perhaps seven volumes if I write the remaining two. Uh, In the meantime, there are two volumes. One is about the history and another one is about the Doctrine and Teaching of the Orthodox Church. Thank you. And a close to the next story. <laughs> and also to you, Father Peter, I would like to present this pectoral cross in commemoration of this event. Ah, thank you very May much. May God bless you. Thank you.
3: very
1: much Metropolitan Lurian for those uh, very thorough analysis of Catholic and Orthodox uh, relations. We'd like now to, uh, to have a stand for the benediction. I had uh, someone, Eminence, uh, Archbishop Justinian, uh, to give that prayer, but he is not with us. So I will uh, have the prayer. Well, God, we thank you for the blessings of this celebration, particularly for the presence of so many distinguished guests this afternoon and particularly Archbishop or Metropolitan Hilarion. We are honored here at Villanova to have presented him with an honorary degree, and we pray that his words which emphasize the need for peace in the world, particularly for the protection of Christians in in uh, Arab countries as well as in the Middle East in general and throughout the world, you know, <clears throat> may find favor with you. And we ask this prayer, as we ask all things, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and brother. Amen. 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 Now, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our ceremony. We are grateful for your attendance and participation, as Villanova recognizes his eminous Metropolitan Hilarion, Alayef and his many contributions as a theologian, artist, and diplomat. This time, uh, we will have the uh, recessional. Gracias. <laughs>